G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. It was difficult because it is obviously interesting diagnosis. I don't know what word to say. Mm -hmm. Hard, difficult diagnosis to have. But um, to be honest, the last one and a half years of treatment, it was just kind of like one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. There was no real break in which you could just sit down and contemplate, oh my gosh, this is actually happening to me. Mm. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story, an inspiring one for you today as we hear how a young lady from Queensland has been able to juggle going to school with receiving cancer treatment. Her name is Catherine Woodward and, unfortunately, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2012. She shares her journey with Karen Hunt. Catherine Woodward is a beautiful, brave young lady from Queensland. She's 16 years of age. She's in year 11 at high school. And Catherine has her own story to share. In 2012, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Good morning, Catherine, and thank you for agreeing to join me this morning. You're welcome. Happy to be doing it. Honey, first of all, give us a little bit of an understanding of where you're from and where you've grown up. So I have grown up all my life on the Gold Coast. I go to Hillcrest. Now I'm just doing year 11 and year 12 kind of overlap and trying to get back on track after my treatment. Hmm. Now, I've actually uh, known of your family for a number of years. Back in 2012, there was a group of us having a barbecue and a bonfire in a backyard with some friends. Your mum and dad were there and partway into the evening, they needed to just go home because you were at home and you weren't feeling too well. Can you rewind and just give us a little background of what was happening at that time and what proceeded from there? So basically in June of 2012, I just woke up one morning and my neck was really quite swollen. And so we went to the doctors and they did some blood tests and things like that. They weren't really sure what was going on. They just said, you know, stay at home, it should go away and stuff like that. So I just stayed at home, progressively got sicker and sicker. I was starting to get fevers and I became really itchy and all these random symptoms were coming on and they had no clue what was linking all these things that were happening. Mm -hmm. So eventually I got sent up to the hospital and they were testing me for all sorts of tropical diseases but they also decided to send me over to the oncology section just to rule out any types of cancer that were causing my symptoms Mm -hmm. and um, I had a meeting with a haematologist and my parents and without a head hesitation said you know I'm pretty sure that you've got Hodgkin's lymphoma we had to obviously do biopsies and things to check that but she was quite convinced and turned out to be the correct diagnosis. So how long did that take to reach that final diagnosis? Um, it took about a month mm-hmm. from when my glands first started swelling. So you just turned 15 For this to come into your world in your mid-teenage years, as a young woman, what thoughts and feelings were going through your head at the time? Well, I just started at a new school at the beginning of the year, so I 
was just still kind of trying yeah. to find friends and things like that. Yeah. A bit of a shock to the system. But um, I think overall, like, especially in that first few weeks, like, you don't really have time to process that much. Mm-hmm. It's just, to be honest, the last one and a half years of treatment, it was just kind of like one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. There was no real break in which you could just sit down and contemplate, oh, my gosh, this is actually happening to me. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it was difficult because it is obviously interesting diagnosis. I don't know what word to say. Mm-hmm. Hard, difficult diagnosis to have. Mm-hmm. But um, so I think the first couple of weeks was just kind of, I was just going through the motions and there wasn't really too much going through my head. I just got to do this, just got to do this. Yeah. So what happened from there? I quite quickly began chemotherapy mm-hmm. because um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, it's... it's quite a curable cancer. I remember multiple nurses and doctors saying, well, you know, if I had to choose one to get, I'd choose Hodgkin's. And I'm like, well, great. And who wants to choose, hey? Serious. uh, Exactly. But I suppose I console myself with that. I remember one of the first things my doctor said, she was like, I think you have Hodgkin's, but it's okay. It's 100% curable. And Delta Goodrum had it. Uh I was like, well, that makes it better, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And if she can fight it, you can. (laughs) Exactly. But, um, yeah, so I quickly began chemo, and that was every two weeks. It was just outpatient treatment at hospital, Mm -hmm. and that was for six months. Um, Having said that, at the end of the six months, usually all the disease will be gone, and then they'll do some radiation just to make sure it doesn't come back, and that's usually the extent of treatment for Hodgkin's. However, you know, I I always like to aim for above average. (laughs) Go, girl. (laughs) Although usually that goes to schoolwork, not this. But um, at the end of that month, um, the disease was still there. So that was not good news at all. No. Basically, that means that they describe the disease as primary refractory, so it doesn't respond to initial treatment. So with that new diagnosis, I was transferred to the Royal Children's Hospital in Brisbane and I began more chemotherapy, different types, trying to find one that would actually work. I started a new one at the beginning of last year and did that a few times and then had another scan and that showed that didn't work. So I went on another one and this is supposed to be some big fancy new one and, you know, I was getting great results. That didn't work either. And eventually my doctor's like, well, the aim was to be able to get my PET scan, which is a scan they do to find cancer, get that negative to show nothing and then they would do a transplant to make sure the disease was gone for good and wouldn't come back Mm. because otherwise it would probably come back due to the stubbornness of the disease that I had. A couple of the chemo stopped working. My doctor was like, okay, well, let's try some radiation. Maybe you'll respond to that better. For radiation, it takes a few weeks to do the planning and it's really quite difficult because um, my disease is in my chest and neck. It was hard because the radiation, especially in teenage girls and young ladies, it increases the chance that you'll get breast cancer because of the radiation to the chest area. So that was one thing they had to try and take into account. But at the same time, it was the only option we had at this point. So I couldn't really be picky. Um, So then I was getting radiation ready. And in the meantime, he said, we'll just give you another type of chemo. By this point, we were quite far through the list of chemo to treat this disease. There weren't many left. And you must have been over it by now, surely. I was over it back at the end of six months. Of course. I was, over it. I was just like, oh, why do I have to do this all over again? Yep, yep. So they just put me on another one in the meantime. 
And just before my radiation, they did another scan and miraculously, that one had started having some effect. It hadn't got rid of it or anything, but it was doing something, which is more than we can say for any other one. That's really good, hey, really good. Catherine, hey, so what did the doctor do after this particular chemotherapy was found to be successful. He still wanted to go ahead with the radiation, so I did the chemotherapy as well as the radiation for a while, and radiation was about a month every weekday. It would take about five minutes of actual treatment, but they had to set you up and everything. Unfortunately, that made me quite sick, but in the end, that worked, which is what we were hoping for, so then I had no disease, and they could do a transplant. So it's a little bit complicated. It is, they, isn't it? Yeah. I know, I've become a bit of an expert, but a bone marrow transplant for me involved a donor that had matched cells and then what it basically means is they give you such high levels of chemotherapy that your immune system won't recover. It basically kills it off. So in order to replace that, they give you stem cells from another person that matches you and then your bone marrow regrows. So that's quite a process, but they really need to find that match. They tested my parents. They also tested my brother's. And we were really quite blessed in that both of my brothers were perfect matches. Wow. All three of us were perfect, which is quite lucky in that, like, we know some people that, you know, they have multiple siblings and no one matches the person that needs the transplant. Yeah. So that was really good news. And so they basically my doctor got to pick either of my brothers and he went with my older brother who was at the time doing um, his initial training in the Navy to become an officer. Mm-hmm. Um, he flew up for the transplant. Basically, he just has to get his blood filtered through a big machine and then they take those cells and give them to me. So, honey, you said the doctors chose which brother. I trust the brothers had a choice as well? Oh, well, both, like, <laughs> obviously there's all the consent, yes. So both of them were more than willing to do it, but they chose my older brother just because the consent was easier since he was over 18. Sure, sure. So your your older brother's, what, two years older and your younger brother? Two years younger. Two years right younger. Thank God for Jonathan, hey? Exactly. Do you feel you um, have a newer bond with him? Um, well, I, I don't know if it's any different to the relationship I've got with my little younger brother. Yes, it's obviously great that he did that, but... I don't think it really made an extra connection. I think we were already quite close. So. Oh, that's beautiful to hear, hey? You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Catherine Woodward from the Gold Coast about her journey with cancer. We'll hear what happens next in her life and how she's interested in getting into the medical field herself when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Catherine Woodward from the Gold Coast about her journey with cancer. It's remarkable that despite everything, Catherine is doing fantastic in school and has a desire to get into the medical field herself. What community involvement has been a part of your journey? Well, in the initial stages, some of the really good organisations that were able to help out was Red Kite, which Mm -hmm. is one that I'd never heard of before, but it's an organisation that supports 
young people through cancer from the age of 12 to 24, 25. Yeah. And so they provide psychologists and they also give you, like, I remember on my first chemo, they provided a big, like, duffel bag full with presents and things like that, which I was quite scared going in. So it was just something to kind of do while the hours went by. And they were able to provide financial assistance for tutoring when I wasn't able to go to school. Great. And all sorts of stuff like that. So that was just one of the organisations. The Leukaemia Foundation was a huge help because when I was in Brisbane, Mm -hmm. our family basically lived up there for three months. So they were able to provide a really nice accommodation with three bedrooms and everything we needed. And it was just kind of a place to have a base although mum was often spending nights with me in the hospital and Ryan was having to like commute to school every day which was like an hour and something on the train and he's the younger brother just, yeah wow. it was just a spot that we could all kind of congregate at mm, what a blessing what an absolute blessing speaking of the community focus though make a wish Australia I mean you're a bit of a smarty one hey even amidst your treatment you've been able to keep up with your schoolwork get straight A's term four of 2012 I understand you have a desire to study medicine become a doctor yourself still as keen as anything Oh, yeah, I definitely, before I even was diagnosed, I always wanted to do medicine. And with my diagnosis, it just has like increased that. It's given me more of an insight into what they actually do. And it's made me want to do it more than ever. Having said that, whilst I was in hospital, when I was in for my bone marrow transplant, which was about two and a half months, at that point, I was a bit like, hmm, rethinking. Wasn't sure if I wanted to be around hospitals anymore. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> but, but having said that, now that I've come out and I have a bit more distance, I'm yeah. like, no, I think I could do that. I think I'd really like to do that. So, yeah, it's still definitely my goal. And so Make-A-Wish Australia, what's the wish for Catherine Woodward? <sighs> that is something that a lot of people have been asking yeah. me. Um, well... Not quite sure. I really wanted to go to France. Yeah. However, they unfortunately have had to stop overseas trips. Oh, so don't jump on that. I can't do that. Uh huh. But um, I'm not really sure. To be honest, they want to know that too. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm, I guess right right now you're you're back in school. You're not really attending five days a week as such. How does it work for you right now? Basically, last year I went to school full time in term two last year. Mm-hmm. I didn't do term one and term three and I was off for my bone marrow transplant. Yeah. So I missed a lot of the year and during the Christmas holidays I regained some of my strength and I was ready to get back into doing something since I didn't really need holidays because I'd kind of had two terms worth of holidays if you call <laughs> hospital holiday. Yeah. Um, so I was ready to get back to do stuff. So I just, I completed the term one stuff that I'd missed. So now I've completed year 11 semester one. But then this year I'm doing some year 12 stuff some year 11 stuff and then next year I'll just do that all again so I'm just kind of doing things slowly but just ticking all the boxes that need to be ticked until I can graduate and doing well I believe doing well oh yeah I'm doing pretty well it's a bit nerve-wracking actually going back to school with like a test like oh my gosh I haven't sat down and done a test Mm. in forever Mm. so that's like they're coming up next week and I'm like oh that's gonna be a bit interesting Mm. but overall it's been really good to get back into the flow of things and 
because I'm with my year 12 grade now and everyone's talking about the formal and stuff and it's, it's actually really great to be worrying about shoes and dresses and... That's a nice worry, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, normal teenage girl thing. Yeah, what a contrast to what you've been through. And just coming back to your old school, how, how do you find it socially with the journey that you've been on in the last couple of years? How are your mates? How are the teachers? Oh, everyone's like really great. I was at, as I said, I'd moved schools at the beginning of 2012, but once I was diagnosed, I went to the Queensland Academy of Health Science, which is a great school, but it has a really intense work program. Ah. So I wasn't really able to keep up with that as well as treatment and everything. So I moved back to Hillcrest, my original school, and they were really great. The chaplain has been so supportive. We go out for ice cream and he takes me and my brother and we go and chat and stuff like that and all the teachers you know they've been there to like you know offer work when I've wanted it but also knowing that you know if I don't complete it they're fine with that too they're just happy to support me and they do extra tutorials like one-on-one with me and it's just great. So Catherine right now keeping your goal medicine still in view yeah? Yeah. And what's your hope? Um, I, although I'm not completely sure what area of mm-hmm. medicine, I just, I've always wanted this, but I just want to like help other people. I want to be able to say that, you know, I've helped someone get better or I've improved their life in some way. Yeah. So that be small or big or, you know, however that is, that's what I really want to do. I've always wanted to go over and join with an organization called Médecins Sans Frontières yeah. or Doctors Without Borders. Okay. So they go over into developing countries and other medical assistance and things like that. So that's something I wouldn't mind doing at some stage, maybe. Yeah. Well, God knows, doesn't he? Exactly. And you were telling me about a little pendant that you were given as a gift sometime along your journey. Could you share that story? Well, at the beginning of last year, my uncle and auntie gave us some money for Christmas and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it, but it was just sitting there. And then I decided something that I really like would be a necklace with the word face. So you know how people get name necklaces and things like that? Same idea, but instead of having a name, have the word face. And it was something that I wanted. So we found a jeweler and they made it and everything. And it was it was just really nice because since the beginning of treatment, I got those um, chalk pens you can write mirrors and wall yeah. and um, windows with. And like all my mirrors in my bedroom, which I've got like a lot of mirrors. Anyway, um, <laughs> they were all... I put all sorts of Bible verses up there just so like I was constantly surrounded because sometimes it's so easy to get caught up at the beginning in like, yeah. well, why? Because, you know, I'm pretty normal. There's nothing special, I thought. So why has this happened? I mean, I'm sure it's going to add a bit of flavor to my testimony, but hmm. vanilla's okay too. But, um, <laughs> but to have encouraging verses around you is a perfect idea. You need to stay as up as possible, hey? Exactly. So I decided like all of the, my favorite verses, they all kind of revolved around the fact that even though I didn't know what was going on or why it was happening, if I had faith, then in the end, I would know it would all be okay. However that end may be, like if I got cured, if I didn't, it didn't matter because in the end, I had to have that faith. So I got that necklace and it was always something like I would hold on to. I remember some nights I would go to bed and if I found like I was getting really quite upset or worried or something, I'd just hold on to that and just think like, you know, faith the size of a mustard seed and geez, my pendant was bigger than a mustard seed, so we're (laughs) all right. Amen, darling. And, you know, faith will get you through. Hope. We all need hope. And I'm glad to, uh, to hear that that was something that could give you that hope. And even now, 
now continue to give you that hope. Catherine, how did you cope when you were shaved in your hairless times? Did you like go all out with different wigs or cover-ups? What was it like for you? Um, well, to begin with, it was quite daunting. I remember when I had to shave my hair because it just started getting ridiculous, falling out all over my bed and things. I was really quite nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to school and I'm not going to have hair, mum. I can't do that. Yeah. Everyone's going to look at me. It's going to be so nerve-wracking. I'm going to you know, stand out so much. It's not going to be realistic. It's going to be horrible. And mum said, no, it's okay. It's okay. We found a shop that sold really nice scarves. So yeah. I got one of them and I put that on and I went to school and I remember it was like, no one blinked. No one blinked. Simple as that. Everyone was just like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's great. But no one made any comments, no one really did any double takes or anything. So that made me feel a lot more confident. And I did get a couple of wigs from um, a shop, but I wore them sometimes. But overall, summer in Queensland, it's a bit hot. So I didn't wear them that often. I mainly, in summer especially, I was just wearing like the canteen bandanas and things like that. So it wasn't a big deal for you really, huh? Probably the biggest thing is like after treatment. In treatment, I probably didn't think about it as much. After treatment, though, I remember like looking at like, you know, girls my age with their nice, long, beautiful hair. And I'm like, I want that. I want to just have like that sign of like being normal. Yeah. Like not have this such obvious sign that obviously something has happened. Yeah. Having said that, I've now got about an inch of hair. And, um, you know, I'm pretty happy. Kind of just <laughs> like a short haircut. I'm hoping that it'll get maybe almost to a little pixie bob thing by fall, but we'll see. Cool. Catherine Woodward, you're a brave young lady, 16 years of age on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Thanks so much for sharing your journey. God bless you. He ain't finished with you yet, honey. You've still got your own life story to continue unfolding. God bless your family amidst all that's been going on. I appreciate you joining me. You're welcome. It's lovely chatting. Thank you so much, sweetie. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Catherine Woodward from the Gold Coast about her journey with cancer. Today's conversation was recorded in March of 2014 and we're happy to report that Catherine has recently graduated in medical science with distinction. So she's further along in her journey to fulfilling her dream of helping others in the medical field. Good honour. And we wish her all the best in the future. Also, it was great to hear how her favourite Bible verses gave her hope and strengthened her faith while receiving cancer treatment. The sky is the limit for her. Well, thanks for joining us for today's inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone you know. Next time on The Story. We didn't have time for for God or church or Bibles because we're all too busy trying to survive in this uh, powder keg that we lived in. There were violent rages and anger and things being tossed around and, um, yeah, I was just trying to survive. Kay Hollings grew up with a mentally ill grandmother and went through some terrifying experiences. So years later, she was understandably reluctant when she felt the Lord calling her into mental health chaplaincy. We'll find out how God changed her heart and how she developed a compassion for the mentally ill next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.